Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau, small business owner whose small business got a whole lot smaller thanks to the pandemic. To help cope, every episode I interview a fellow small business owner and discuss how exactly the pandemic has affected their business and the humans who run it. Today's guest actually produced his company's very first production run ever of canned cold brew coffee on the date the national emergency was declared back in March, all while still a senior in college. In just a few minutes, he will share his pandemic experience, including having to rent a van and drive all over Boston, selling the coffee from that production run, left over from all those canceled purchase orders. But first, our fun fact. Today's fun fact is of the rare, non-sarcastic breed. The number of active COVID-19 cases in the U.S. and in the world have both decreased back-to-back weeks. According to the spreadsheet I've been building for almost a year, last week marked the very first time since the pandemic began that active cases decreased. With the holidays in a rearview mirror and the vaccine rollout building momentum, the U.S. has seen a 56% decrease in new daily cases in just the last 30 days. Please let that continue. Before our interview, for a little historical context, here are some quantitative measurements of what's happening in the world around us in our recurring segment, Facts and Figures. COVID-19 numbers are all trending in the right direction as active cases, mortality rates, infection rates, and rate of spread are all declining. For 487,000 Americans and nearly 2.4 million global citizens lost to COVID, the vaccine is obviously too late. But with 1.6 million Americans being vaccinated daily and over 52 million shots already administered to high-risk populations, there is hope for a rapid decline. More silver linings, unemployment filings have declined four consecutive weeks, though they do remain in pre-pandemic record territory. Similar to COVID, our numbers look how they did in early November, as we appear to ride the mountain back down to where we started. One final piece of good news, the stock market appears to be corroborating the signs of the end of the COVID era, seeming to push daily into record territory. Of particular note is the S&P 500, which is heavy on tech stocks, up 75% from the low point in March. Keep in mind that a good year will generally see returns of 10 to 15%, so 75% is absolutely incredible. Okay, before we get to our interview, here are a couple of quick and easy ways to support small businesses. Number one, buy stuff. Duh. Truly, there is nothing better. Maybe even skip Amazon and go direct. Number two, write reviews on Yelp, your own Facebook page, or even Instagram Reels. However you want to share, just share. Share the word about your favorite small businesses and let your friends know who and how to support. Number three, lastly and probably easiest, find your favorite small businesses and like and comment on their Instagram. Might seem really insignificant, but I promise you'll raise morale, especially for truly small businesses where each and every comment and like actually matters. My guest today is Aman Ailani. Originally from Dubai, Aman came to Boston in 2016 where he studied entrepreneurship at Bentley College. At just 21 years old, Aman founded Sahol Cold Brew during the spring semester of his senior year and launched it into retail in the summer of 2020. Aman, thanks for being here. 
Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear all about your, your story. And I think this podcast will be almost as long as your business has been in business. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're pretty short. Um, we, we haven't been alive for too long. We're, we're kind of in our infancy in our early days. And yeah, I've been loving it so far, all, all six months of it. That's, that, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you on is because I think that you have the first business that has essentially been started during, or at least has gone live during the pandemic. But let's go ahead and start by just having you tell us what is your product? Why is it different? Why is it the best? Absolutely. So my name is Iman, and I'm the founder of Sahol Clover. We're a local in Boston, sugar-free, dairy-free, um, and naturally gluten-free cold brew. Um, why we're the best? Um, essentially, right now, a lot of canned coffees are made with a lot darker roasts. Um, you know, they come out a little bit bitter, but we're completely on the other end of the spectrum. We're a lot lighter, a lot fruitier. Um, we get some really nice chocolatey tones. So we definitely stand out, and I, I think our packaging is, is second to none as well. So it's been a great, great few months here in the Boston market, and I'm excited to tell you more about it. So you started the business as a project in class. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. So I was an entrepreneurship major at Bentley University, which is just outside of Boston. And as entrepreneurship majors, we all have to start and launch our own businesses in order to graduate. That's a cool little feature of the program. Um, and a lot of my friends are something smaller. You know, you could do anything, dorm cleaning service, car cleaning service. But I've kind of been fascinated with coffee for the four years that I was in college. So my professor approached me and said, Hey, like, why don't you do something with that cold brew coffee of yours? Um, and I thought it was, he was crazy, but um, I looked a little more into it. It seemed a, more viable than I expected. And yeah, we hit the ground running. Your professor knew that you liked coffee. He did. He did. Yeah. He would, um, we would kind of have a funny little, little encounter where we would go to the same coffee shop on campus right before class. So um, many a time we would actually walk to class from the same coffee shop and we talked about coffee and I knew how he liked his coffee. He knew how I liked my coffee and it was a really nice relationship that I have with him. And, you know, I'm still, still really good friends to this day. That's fantastic. I was just going to say, do you still lean on him for advice? Um, not really. I mean, obviously his full-time job, he's so busy. He's a tenured professor. He's teaching a couple classes. Um, COVID has been challenging for everyone, all professors really. Um, so we haven't really talked too much, but I know he's a silent supporter of, of mine and I know he's keeping track of my moves and I know I'm, I'm always there for him as well. So it's a, it's a really great thing we got going. Good. Yeah. That, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm 34 and I, I, I still have a, a professor who I reach out to every now and again. My yeah, so great. A couple of fellow alum alumni of, uh, of mine. We, we, we sometimes ask ourselves, uh, WWDD, what, what would Danny do? Our professor was, it was a, it was a first name basis, but shout out to Danny Warshay. There you go. There you go. So you do most people who start their businesses in college for a project at Bentley, do they continue them afterwards or, or are you kind of the rarity? Um, so the really nice thing about Bentley, um, and I'm not sure, you know, if, if everyone knows what, about Bentley, but it is purely a business school. So, you know, there's no engineering majors, there's no, um, biology majors, you're there for business, you're there for one reason only. So I think because of that, everyone to an extent is a little bit entrepreneurial. Um, Bentley is known for its accounting and finance programs. It's one of the best accounting schools in the nation. Um, but I actually have a decent number of friends who, who are still running their businesses, you know, whether that be, um, 
got a couple of friends who started a nice clothing business. Um, I have a friend who had her own like holiday travel experience planning business and that looks a little different now, but you know, she's still doing amazing things. Um, so I think just with the nature of Bentley, you get students who are a little more of a go-getter um, than other schools. Um, so I think because of that, yeah, we, we do see a decent number of student startups. Oh, that that's great. So you started, this was a, was it a single semester or dual semester? I guess we'll walk us through kind of the, the timeline of the project and then continue Like <laughs> I'm already doing the follow-up question before you finish the first question. But uh, when did you kind of decide when in this timeline, did you decide to actually make it a, a full-time gig and go for it after college? For sure. So a little bit of backstory on, on why I even chose coffee, because I think that's important. So I never drank coffee growing up, you know, I was born and raised in Dubai, great coffee culture, you know, dark roast coffees and Arabian coffee pots are, are, you know, really strong part of the culture there. But I never really drank coffee until the fall semester of my freshman year. You know, I was up late one night studying for a midterm and I needed something to keep me awake. So I go to the vending machine, I grab one of those frappe type coffees and one of those glass bottles. And, you know, I take a couple of sips and realize it's just loaded with sugar. Subsequently, the coffee doesn't work. I have a sugar crash. I can't stay up studying. So I actually buy my own cold brew coffee maker uh, and I go home to Dubai that summer. And that summer and you know, every summer after that, like I, I dive into the world of cold brew because Dubai is very hot. Um, iced coffees are very popular. Ice drinks are very popular. Um, and I just fall in love with cold brew. I just fall in love with iced coffee. So fast forward to the fall of my senior year. And I was taking this class, launching your venture. Uh, with my with my professor who I, who I mentioned and you know we incorporated I initially I thought it'd be something you know way smaller I would kind of just homebrew some cold brew in my dorm um, pack it in mason jars and do deliveries once or twice a week but my professor really challenged me on that and he said well I mean if you're gonna start this like why not try and do something a little bit bigger like you know what do you, what do you have to lose like you're in college so like I said I called him crazy at first but he challenged me to really look into it so you know, I started looking around for manufacturers and, and co-packers and, you know, fortunately I found a great co-packer very close to me that was, I was looking for new clients and new business. And we were able to start with a low minimum order um, in terms of cans. And one thing kind of led to another, we had our first production run in March of 2020. Um, and that's when things got going. So it starts in, you have your first production run in March of 2020. Was it and this is key, was it early March or was it late March? Yeah, so funny you say that. That was actually the day that, so I'm in Massachusetts and the day that word started going around of a Massachusetts lockdown was the day of our first production run. And at that point, you know, because of the labor hours that are already committed and the coffee's already brewed, you know, we couldn't really couldn't really put pause on that. So we we had to go ahead with the production run. We were, we were committed. Um, so it's, it's a weird story now looking at it, but we actually started on the day that COVID really like started to wreak havoc in Boston. And what was that like having, you know, you're just getting started. Yeah. You have what, a, a couple thousand cans? Yep. Yep. So we had about 2000 cans in production. Okay. You're on lockdown. So mm. you are going to have a tough time finding the finding buyers at grocery stores. <laughs> So what do you do with 2000 cans? That's a, that's a great question. I think that's the, that's some of the questions that really kickstarted the business and the way that I started to think about it. So 
obviously because of COVID, um, you know, grocery stores weren't taking on new items, distributors weren't working with new brands. Um, nobody was really sure what, what was going to happen next. And I think to this point, you know, sitting here in, in February of 2021, things still seem to be changing by the day. Um, but back then, you know, I kind of just realized, okay, like at that point I was still in my, the spring of my senior year. So I was focusing on, you know, finishing up and, you know, getting my, my paperwork done and my coursework done. So I didn't really think about it, but essentially what happened is like with any fresh product, once it goes past a certain shelf life date, um, no stores were really bring it on, no distributors were really bring it on. So we were left in a really interesting position um, where eventually we got a go ahead from a distributor that wanted to bring us on, but they were like, Hey, like, you know, this product isn't going to do, we need a new product. So from a cash flow perspective, I'm like, okay, like all my cash is tied up to that product um, and they want a new product. So yep. I have to find a way to get rid of this product and make money to make that product. Um, and that was kind of the first time that I realized, wow, okay, this is what business is like. Because I think being in business school, you can learn everything, but until you're actually doing it, you're not really learning anything. So once I realized that, okay, I was like, okay, the gear started moving my head about cash flow. And what I did was, which is funny, and I, I love it because I think this was a formative moment for me in my business, but I got two of my buddies um, and we rented a box truck, a refrigerated box truck. And I texted 70 or 80 of my friends. Um, I let them know about this business because there was obviously some buzz that I was starting to school up a company and people wanted to get a hands on it. And I found 70 buyers, um, you know, just friends of mine. I wish I could have sold them to strangers, but COVID didn't allow that. So texted 70 of my friends, um, rented a box truck. And over the course of two days, we, we made deliveries you know, all across the state of Massachusetts, we went as far north as the North Shore and as far down as pretty much touching Cape Cod. And we moved, we moved all the products. We, we successfully sold everything but a few cases um, that I kind of just kept for myself. You know, I didn't want to lose all the cans immediately. So I kept one or two cases for myself, but we sold everything. We gathered up the cash. We paid for our second production run. And we, we started working with our distributor in late summer. I think that one thing that you hit on is worth echoing again. And, and that is just that, especially when you're starting a business, yeah. that your cash flow is, you know, in, in a, in a consumer packaged goods in, in the CPG world, your cash flow is absolutely crucial. And it, and as you, especially as you scale, it's important or you have to oftentimes meet larger quantity product in, in single production runs in yeah. order to achieve uh, economy of scale and reduce your price. But then of course you're stuck with orders of magnitude, larger amounts of product. And so for you being able to find a co-packer who was near to you at, and was able to produce at such small minimum quantities, it was actually like probably crucial for you to even get started. But then you know, to have those 2000 cans, which, you know, is like a, a, a rounding error if you're a PepsiCo brand, but of course you're just getting started. That's your first production run. That's all of your capital. So yeah, yeah. you, uh, I, I love the way, <laughs> I love what you decided to do rather than kind of looking at, at the adversity you're facing and saying, Hey, we'll just put things on pause for a while. No, you go out and literally rent the truck to go make deliveries yourself. And that's, that's what it takes to get things started. Yeah. And I, I totally agree, you know, especially for, I think for any brand, but especially a young brand, cash flow is everything. You know, if you have cash, you can make moves. If you don't have cash, you're kind of just watching paint dry. Um, yeah. But something that was really cool too about, you know, delivering those cases was, yes, although they were friends, but, you know, I, 
I call myself grateful because I have pretty honest friends and, you know, about 10 to 15% of my friends kind of just told me like, Hey, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like I didn't love it. Um, and I was like, okay, fair, fair. Um, but then I also had the remaining percentage of that was like, dude, like I love this. Like when's the next, when's the next run. And I, I kind of had to take that with a grain of salt because I said, okay, you know, they're my friends. But, um, at that time, you know, in COVID, I, <laughs> I wasn't going to gather data from many more places. So, um, I was able to take many of their testimonials and, you know, show those to buyers, show those to distributors and be like, Hey, we have a tested market in the city of Boston. Um, you know, our product is in demand and that's kind of what started moving the gears for us. So when, when did you make that, that box truck run around Boston? That was in July. That was late July of okay. uh, 2020. So, and was there a specific point in time that you decided to take this beyond college and into, into the real world as, as your first post-grad job? Yes. Um, so that was my intention, you know, from the start, I think when I saw the first production run happen and I saw, this sounds weird to say, but I saw the legitimacy of the cans and the product. I just thought, wow, I mean, this just doesn't look like something that a college kid would do. Like, you know, that comes down to having great design from our designer and great tasting coffee. And I realized, wow, this is like, this is something I would buy at the store. Like this is genuinely like good. Um, and I think the validation from the people that we sold the coffee to was just proof of that. And I realized, okay, there as many cold brews as there are in the market right now, I think that people are always looking for a hot new product, kind of like they're always looking for a cool new craft beer. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. So I think pretty much after we sold those cases and I was getting feedback from friends and saying that, Hey, like, this is like, no joke. This is actually the real thing. So I said, let's give it a shot. I love that. And Usually at this point, we kind of wrap up our pre-COVID set by going over the, some 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 metrics. But I feel like this is going to be pretty easy because pre-COVID, you had no distributors, you had no accounts, you yeah. were just just finishing up, even you know starting the business. I know you incorporated into in the fall semester of 2019, but there's really not a, a ton of story to tell prior to COVID, which is why I'm excited to get in into more detail about your COVID experience, because that is essentially all, all you know. And just let me tell you from someone who's had a business before COVID, it's a lot easier without a giant raging pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine. Um, yeah, but... tr truly, you can only imagine. <laughs> At the uh, same time, at the same time, though, I think what I also realized was, you know, call this a blessing in disguise, but I didn't, I did not know any different. Yeah. You know, I did not. I think I was, I think that's the, they say ignorance is bliss. And, you know, it's like, I, I went in like, to me, you know, as far as the grocery industry goes, you know, I didn't know what it was like to demo. <laughs> I didn't know what it was like to, you know, stock myself in food service counts or, you know, this or that for me, it was what I saw was what I had. Um, and I right. kind of just learned from that and I, I didn't really have anything to compare myself to. So I think mentally that was re a really nice shift or a nice opportunity. And I kind of just got after it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that's a, a fantastic perspective to have. And I think that the, the knowledge that it will get easier should make you sleep at least a, a little bit better at, yeah. at, at, at night. But, um, as we move into our mid-COVID set, 
It is time, as always, before we do, for our guest, Unsponsor. And Unsponsor is an awesome company who produces awesome product. They don't pay for a shout-out, but they deserve one anyway. So, Aman, tell us who is today's show not brought to us by. Yeah, there's an awesome you know, plant-based milk brand here in New England called Nutty Life. Um, Nutty Life, they're based in Vermont. I actually haven't spoken to the founder about this. I'm good friends with her, but hopefully this is a nice surprise when she finds out about it. And they just make such an unbelievable product. They, they ship pretty much across the country as far as I know. Um, but they just, they're just incredible. Um, some of the best almond milk, cashew milks that I've ever tasted. They make some unbelievable chocolate shakes. Um, and the reason I know them is because we're actually stocked in many of our stores, like we're going to get into together. We're shelf mates. Um, so I've been able to get a really cool relationship with them as well and just see their growth as well, which is unbelievable. And I was just doing a little bit of research about them and they're a, a little, uh, I mean, husband and wife company as well. They are. They are. Yeah. It's an unbelievable teamwork they have going. And uh, how, how do our listeners find them? So you can go right to their website. Um, I think it's nutty-life, but just a simple Google search and you'll go right to their online shop. Perfect. So delicious almond milks, cashew milks, other alternative plant milks. Yeah. Nutty life. Great. Let's dive right into our mid-COVID set where we'll talk all about how the pandemic impacted your business. So I continuing on with the with the timeline theme, how were what what was the first impact you felt from the pandemic on your business? I think it would just be the fact that our retail launch wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, it's, we got the email from our from our distributor kind of in, in April um, after they had already tried the coffee and they loved it. They're like, wow, this is awesome. We can't wait to distribute it, but it's not going to happen for a couple of months. So just sit tight and, you know, check back in with us um, if there are any updates or anything like that. But we are going to work together, just not right now. So that was a weird situation for me because, yes, I have this verbal commitment, but I think one thing I've learned in business is, you know, it's until you're doing it, it's not it's not set in stone. Yes, so, absolutely. Um, at the same time, though, you know, it also kept me honest. I had to keep the pedal down. I had to I had to stay on top of, you know, stay front of mind with them. And um, when I did the the box truck run and I sent over some of that, um, some of those pictures and some of that data, and that's when I think they kind of realized, wow, this, you know, he's, he's serious about this. It isn't just a kid that's going to dump us with product and then go live his life on the beach, but he's going to be in there in the field every day, you know, selling his product himself. And I think that's part of the reason that we got, we got our shot with them. What was that like mentally for you having, you know, put a bunch of cash into, into your inventory, having that on hand, having the verbal commitment, thinking you're ready to go only to have your first big distributor say, no, th- not no, thank you. Putting the pause button, pu- pushing the pause button, and having it be sort of an indefinite timeline as to when that will resume. You mentioned cash flow being an issue. What are you? What's going through your mind at that time? I think that you know, for me, I kind of just had to put it in perspective and realize, hey, like, listen, like you're you're fresh out of college. You've got an unbelievable education, unbelievable education behind you. Um, you know, you have your head square on your shoulders. There's much larger forces at play here. You know, there are people who are, you know, unfortunately losing their life to this virus. Like you can, 
you can be okay not selling your product for a little bit like you can you can kind of just chill for a little bit like this isn't the sky isn't falling down although it might feel like it um but you're, you're going to be okay and you know there's there's a much bigger perspective here at play so when i kind of put that in, in my mind and you know my family was really great about helping me do that um and helping me just realize that hey man like you're you haven't done everything wrong. In fact, you haven't done anything wrong. This is not your fault. Um, and I think that us as business owners, we can be really quick to try to take action and try to fix things. But we as business owners can't fix a global pandemic. Um, so I kind of just had to realize that. And once I made that mental shift, I mean, I was happy. I was happy sitting around and, and waiting for them to be ready. What did you use that time for? Um, just learning about the industry. Um, you know, CPG and the grocery industry is, I don't want to say it's hard to break into, but you know, there's barriers to entry people, people make it seem a lot more complicated than it actually is. And, um, just learning, just learning how it works, you know, learning, listening to podcasts with successful emerging CPG brands, um, and just learning it as much as I could so that when, you know, when, if the time came to go, I was ready. Like if I went into a buyer meeting, I knew what I was doing. If I, if I had the opportunity to sell my product, then I was going to close a deal. So just kind of sitting on the line, sidelines, you know, preparing myself, training, um, listening to podcasts, reading books, and just mentally getting ready to, to go when my name was called. Have you found there to be specific segments of the, of the natural, of the, of the, the, canned beverage world that are more open to new products like yours than others? Yes, for sure. Like when I was starting this, I can't tell you how many times I had people, you know, well, it's established, quote unquote, established people in, in the industry tell me, Hey, you kid, you've got no shot. Um, kid, you're going up against some of the biggest names in, in beverage. Like you've got no shot at this, go get a real job. And that's just so ridiculous. Like the fact that, you know, that would even, someone would even think to say that to, you know, a college kid who's kind of just trying to get his feet wet. Uh, um, but what I realized, and I think our sales data, I can say now with full confidence, our sales data backs us up is that it doesn't matter how many beverages there are out there. If you have a good beverage, if your packaging is great, if you've got a good story and you can tell that story well, I think there's always, there's always room um, you know, like I said earlier, that's part of the reason the craft beer industry is so big. You know, a lot of those, a lot of these craft beer brands, you know, they aren't that big, but the ones that are good have a loyal, loyal following behind them. And, you know, you've seen brands like, you know, I'm not sure if the listeners are familiar with this, but Hedy Topper in Vermont, they started out so small scale. They were so like, they were probably as small as you could be. And they just stayed true to their guns, you know, even going up against the big names. And they just became really good at telling their story. Um, they dialed in their messaging. They dialed in their product. They dialed in their packaging. And they just took it one step at a time. And I think that's the key for really anyone starting their business. But, you know, especially for me, the canned beverage space, that it doesn't matter how many coffees there are out there. If I've got, if my coffee looks great and tastes great, I'm going to be okay. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but my researcher slash uh, intern from UCLA did give me a list of questions that she wanted that, that she was hoping you might answer uh, as she's looking to eventually start her own business potentially. And one of those questions is, what are some difficulties or advantages you're, you experienced because of your age 
And were there any obstacles you faced specifically when you were just starting off because you were a college student? First of all, I love that you have a, a college intern. Um, I'm such an advocate for, for college students, um, you know, just being less than nine months out of college. I think I've, I was just there. So to answer your question, um, I think when you're an intern, you've got a really unique kind of ace up your sleeve that you can pull out at any time. And, you know, if you've put it like this way, if you've started your business and you're good at what you do, if you pull out the fact that you're a student, that just pushes you up the ranking because you're showing that, hey, I'm not just, you know, a great entrepreneur, but I'm also managing my time well and stuff like that. So part of the reason that I got so many of these, you know, crucial meetings early is because I just told people straight up like, hey, like I'm not, you know, that big name that you have coming to your office. I'm just a college student, but I think I've got a product that will knock your socks off. And they kind of chuckled, but then they're like, all right, kid, let's try it. Um, and I would say that, like, just leverage the fact that you're a student. It's unbelievable how many people will help you um, knowing you're a student, because I know I do. I mean, I take calls with, you know, college students every day who message me on LinkedIn. It's, it's an honor to do so. It's a joy to make, to make time for college students, because I know that when I was a college student, I always thought that, hey, no one's going to give me a shot. But that's not true. And I think that if you just shoot your shots, then, you know, someone, someone will make time to talk to you. So I would say just, just leverage the fact that you're a student. Um, and, a, and a disadvantage would probably be that you're going to get so many naysayers, like way more than you can imagine. You've really got to just let your chin build some toughness over time because you're going you're gonna to be knocked down. But, you know, at the end of the day, they, they don't know you. They don't know your story. They don't know what you're doing. So stick to your guts and have good people around you and you're going to be okay. It sounds like it's been a polarizing experience as far as the the crowd's reaction or the market's reaction to you saying that you are a student when you're getting things started. You have people who want to be super helpful and want to give you a chance and might even go out a little bit further on a limb than they normally would because you're a student and they want to see you succeed. And then at the same time, you have people on the opposite end of the spectrum who are going to be doubting you because of your age. Is, is that about right? Yeah, that's spot on. Um, you know, to an extent, it makes me think that maybe some of these more established names in CPG, they don't want to be knocked off their perch. You know, they don't want, you know, this, this young kid who, who seems like he has beginner's luck come in and take their spot. But, you know, I'll say that, you know, if you're 18 to 25 years old and, you know, you've, you've got, you've got something you really want to do, then the iron's hot for you, like strike it, you know? Um, but I will say at the same time as that, like there've been so many just incredible people, you know, some of the first people that gave me a chance whether that was grocery buyers or distributors or even just, you know, people that, that tried our coffee. Um, I'm so thankful. And um, it, it's all, it's all noise until you actually sell. So um, I'm really thankful that I've been able to, you know, generate some sales traction. Yeah. At the end of the day, it really is just about sales. Obviously you, you need the marketing to get there and, and there's so many other things that go into it, but truly there's like one metric that really matters. 100%. Is there anything now that you're, I know you're only nine months out, but now that you, and, and you had this really cool opportunity to kind of incubate in college with that support system, is there anything that you wish you had done differently in college or would recommend to students kind of looking to follow in, in your footsteps and start a business right out of college or even while they're, while they're in college? Um, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, and I would say that if you're a college student, like LinkedIn is your best friend, you know, it's, it's, 
if you're in college or if you're recently graduated, you have perspectives that nobody else does. If you're a college student that's been, you know, going through college during COVID, like you are, you're literally one of a kind, like no other people before you have ever experienced what you have. You have such a unique perspective. Um, my LinkedIn, you know, some people call it cheesy or whatever, but it's grown over 1,500% since I graduated just by sharing my perspectives on starting a company right out of college and sharing my story, just being vulnerable, being transparent. So I think if I could change one thing, I would probably get active on LinkedIn a little earlier. Interesting. And is there anything that you wish you would have used f as far as on-campus resources? Mm. So Bentley prides itself on, you know, a great career services team. Um, and it's true. I mean, we have one of the highest job placement rates in the country, but me being an entrepreneur, like I, I never really had, had a reason to do that. I kind of wish that, you know, I, I learned a little bit more about, you know, perspectives from students who are going to go work full-time jobs because I was just so laser focused on starting my own business that I honestly just like probably missed out on meeting a lot of really cool people just because I didn't, I wasn't on the same path as them, but now, you know, thinking back, I was like, wow, like if I could have met some more faculty, some more staff, um, you know, had some more people in my corner, that would have been, that would have been a real help. Yeah. There's really never a bad time to be networking. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And that's part of the reason that I said what I did about LinkedIn. Yeah. And getting, getting back to the, back to the timeline. So you, they said that the, the distributor wanted to push the pause button. And you said that you ended up driving around and selling, you know, doing the, the box truck and selling to your 70 or 80 friends in July. When did you see, when was the first time you got your product onto the shelves of grocery stores? October 9th, 2020 was our first store. Um, we landed on the shelves of Cambridge Naturals in Boston. Um, and it was just such a surreal moment because I think that, like I said earlier, like it's all, it's all just noise. It's all just clanging and banging until you're actually like on a shelf available for strangers to go by. Um, so that was a, that was a moment when I kind of realized like, Hey, like I pretty much achieved what I wanted to achieve, like setting out, like, yes, you know, I want to add more stores and I want to see sales grow, but I basically went from nothing to now I'm available for purchase. And that was a long journey. So in the grand scheme of things, I achieved what I wanted to, but now, you know, our goals change and we, we set new goals and we started to achieve them too. Right. It seems like the, the end of the race is, you know, making that first sale when truly that is just the first step in the race. Everything else was, was training. And then you make that first sale and you're like, okay, great. Now I have to do that a million more times. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, I'm starting to realize that there never really is a finish line. You know, it's, it's always like just learning to be joyful and learning to enjoy the process enjoy the race is, is all the fun. So you, you get onto the first, first grocery store shelf. How have you found it to be since then? Has growth been, uh, at the rate that you would like it to be? How has that been in, you know, within the, in the backdrop or on the stage of pandemic? Yeah. Um, so short answer, unbelievable. Um, and I think, I'll start by saying that I'm, I'm really grateful and I'm really thankful that, you know, we've grown honestly over 600, 700% since October. Um, what happened was right now as COVID, you know, obviously people are prioritizing grab and go. 
Um, they're not looking to stay a while at all. And I think part of the reason that as successful as the canned coffee and the canned beverages market was previously, COVID only boosted that because what's happened now is people are looking for a specialty coffee experience that they can get right from their right from the comfort of their own home. And that's what we provide in a can. You know, we we provide cafe quality cold brew, um, but in a can you can grab from your fridge and get right back to work. So that's part of the reason that I believe we've been successful. Obviously, I don't know if that's fully true, but just based on some of the stores that we're in, seeing some of the sales data, I think that's part of the reason that we've we've been so successful, especially in a city like Boston. Well, first of all, the six six or seven hundred percent growth, congratulations! That's amazing to do. You know, especially now, I I hope to see that rate of growth continue. Where you. you know that means going from instead of you know five stores to thirty stores, it means going from thirty stores to you know to three hundred stores to three thousand yeah. stores. Yeah, so continuing that same rate of growth you know, especially as we come out of COVID and, and more markets are open to you, uh, that, that should be, should be easier. How many stores are you in currently? As we're sitting right now, we're closing in on 20. Um, so by the end of this month, we should be, we should be right at or around 20. Um, and it's, it's a while to stay because we hit our first one in October, October 9th. But at the same time, I will also say that, you know, like as it goes on, I mean, I hope it continues growing, but obviously, you know, adjusting my expectations, you know, my, our goal here isn't to add 500 stores in six months. Our goal here is to provide one person with the coffee they need to, you know, keep cracking on with their day. And if we can do that, then we've, we've achieved what we want to set out to achieve. Um, and the way we do that is by making it available, more freely available for as many people to buy as possible. Right. So um, just continuing to work on that. Have you had pushback from store buyers who are reticent to bring in a new product when there are you know when there's so much else going on that people are are they worried that that buyers are looking more for certainty and the sure thing rather than trying something new all the time all the time that's that's probably our number one objection is listen it's winter out we just got dumped with 12 inches of snow in boston why the heck is anyone going to buy cold brew and all you have to do is go go to a coffee shop in Boston and you see the amount of people drinking iced coffee in the winter. You know, New Englanders are known, they're notorious for drinking iced coffee year round. Um, yeah, Duncan. Exactly. New Englanders love iced coffee. I don't know what it is, but I think it's probably the only place in the country where there could be a blizzard out. And my roommate actually saw this. It could be a blizzard out and people in line and in front of them are going to buy iced, iced coffee and cold brew. So, I mean, yeah, it is a challenge. You know, we get pushed back all the time. I would say that we get <laughs> no's more than we get yeses. But it's all about learning to manage those and uh, rebuttal to buyers as well. Yeah, definitely. Having having a response ready doesn't always ensure a sale, but at least it helps you prepare to to be uh, to give yourself the best chance possible. Why do you think you are? What's the most common reason that you're getting a no these days? Um, I think that you know when we started, we went after the I want to say like the low hanging fruit. Um, you know, like the the stores that were not easy, but a, a natural fit to bring us in, you know, like those are some of the easier yeses, you know, those are very streamlined processes, but are those the, are those the more lo- local and independent stores? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So local, you know, independent mom and pops, like, I mean, they'll, they'll give you a chance. Like if you have a great tasting product, if you have, you know, all the logistics in place, they'll, they'll give you a shot, you know, it's, it's not a big deal to them, but as you kind of progress up and you start going after, you know, harder to get kind of stores or, you know, stores that do a lot more, um, 
like a lot of bigger stores, kind of like the premium higher end grocery store. Like that's when it gets a little more challenging. And obviously they work on category resets and category reviews. Um, so really just adjusting expectations and realizing that, hey, man, like not every close is going to be this easy. But at the same time, we also closed a store, you know, two weeks, two weeks back where we walked in and we got a yes on the spot. So it goes both ways. What has been the most stressful thing to happen to your business in the last few months? Ooh, um, after your first sale, after October 9th? I honestly would say that it's really, I don't say like one stressful thing, but as an emerging brand, you know, there's always little things. Like there's always the worry about, you know, trying to add retail accounts, you know, trying to support retail accounts, trying to do this, trying to do that. Um, so I think just the, the hustle and bustle of every day um, can definitely wear you down as a business owner. So learning how to take care of myself has been important. But as far as one specific thing goes, you know, I, I wouldn't say like we've had, one major catastrophic event since since October. It's kind of just been little fires here and there, but as a business owner, you just get used to those. Definitely, yeah. Be- being able to handle those, handle all the handle all of the no's, even is something that that is. It can take some people a long time, I think, to to get used to, especially if you are a solopreneur. Have you found it difficult to dissociate your your personal identity from that of from that of your brand and what and and specifically like when someone do you do you ever take it personally when you get rejected by a store buyer great question i think earlier on when i was starting i I, i'm not gonna lie like i (laughs) i came out swinging like i think in my first six weeks i landed six stores and i thought wow this is so easy why doesn't everyone do this but then the no started coming and then, you know, the, the harsher rejections where buyers just tell you to kick rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Kick rocks. And like when those started coming earlier on, I was like, well, like what's wrong? Like, what am I, what am I doing wrong? Like things were dandy six weeks ago and now I'm in the dumps. Um, but I, I think that's just part of the learning process, right? That's just part of the mature maturing process. Um, and I really just had to become more mature because I thought I was, I mean, but in reality, I was six months out of college and I was kind of, I was way out kicking my coverage here. So there's going to be moments for sure, you know, where you, where you begin doubting yourself and, you know, you begin doubting your abilities and you feel imposter syndrome and this and that. But as a business owner, you know, you, you kind of just learn to roll with the punches there. And I, I will say for me, like my faith is very important to me. Um, so learning how to like not place my identity in, in what I do has been, has been a learning process. And I think that's something that all business owners and, you know, everyone just in general, even if you're just an engineer, um, has to get used to is just, Hey, what you do is not who you are. So that's been, that's been cool for me to learn. Yeah. That's definitely a, a very mature outlook. I still sometimes have, I mean, I'm eight years in to my business and I still, when faced with rejection, sometimes have a tough time swallowing that pill and, and realizing it's not, nothing personal it's it's just business and although that's you know kind of a cheesy adage there's obviously truth in that and sometimes your product just isn't the right fit or or it's not the right timing 100 percent. you know it's i think one thing that i i've learned over 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 time is just grocery buyers like the people who stock grocery store shelves like they have one job and one job alone it is increase overall sales of their store like they want their store to make more money. Like that is point blank. That is what grocery buyers do. And 
if your product helps them achieve that goal, great. If you're, if they don't think your product is going to help them bring more sales, then it's no. So all I've, I've learned that all I have to do really is just convince buyers that my product is going to help grow their category sales. And once you're able to do that and the timing is right and you have your logistics in place and you know what you're doing, you'll get your shot. Yeah. Yeah. What are you looking forward to most for your business and for the next steps as in theory, we reach herd immunity here in the next three to six months or so within the next couple of quarters, we were assuming there will be some resumption of normality. What are you looking forward to? Because you haven't, you haven't had, you, you haven't had a single day with product on hand to sell in the quote unquote old normal. That's an unbelievable question. Um, you know, as, as we grow, you know, like I said, we just want to put our coffee into the hands of, of as many consumers as possible, of as many, you know, coffee drinkers as possible and shoppers as possible. So really just growing that, whatever that looks like, whether it's expanding to new territories or, you know, adding distributors and retailers in our current territory, I think it will be cool just because as confidence increases, you know, buying increases. So just that shift is going to be really fun for sure. Is there anything specific, any, uh, any industries that you think will be a little bit more open when, when the economy starts to reopen and there, and there are, uh, when all restrictions go away, are there segments that you're looking most forward to attacking? Oh man. Um, I'm not sure about attacking, but I think I'm just excited to go back to sports games again. Um, living in Boston, I mean, we've got one of the best, I think the best sports city in the world. Um, it's a bummer seeing my seeing my Celtics on TV and not being able to go watch them in person. So um, it would be cool to go to go to sports games again. But as far as, you know, the the industry, you know, who knows when offices will, will get back in, you know, it's it, it's a crapshoot at this point. So I think that canned beverages and office spaces go hand in hand. But mm-hmm. let's see. I mean, let's see what happens. You know, I'm not I'm not even going to try to make predictions at this point because things seem to be changing by the day a wise perspective to have to try to not make any predictions, but of course you still have to prepare for yeah. when things reopen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with that. So as we look to, to wrap things up, anything that you wish you would have done differently, if, like if, if you knew what you knew today, is there anything that you would have done differently three or even six months ago? Just have more fun with it. I think that, you know, it's easier saying now when I'm in, I'm in stores and, you know, our product is selling, thankfully, but, you know, when you're, when you're just starting out and there's no guarantee if you're even going to get one store, um, it's really easy to, to get down on yourself and to feel stressed for no reason. But uh, I think that if I knew now what I knew then, then man, I would, I would just say screw it more often and just, just have a good time with it because it is, it is fun. Like at the end of the day, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't having fun and it doesn't even feel like work to me. Like, I get to tell people about coffee and I love coffee. I drank coffee this morning. You're drinking coffee right now. Like it's great. It brings us all together. Um, so just have more fun with it and, and realize that it's, it's a joy. It's an honor to get to do this. That is such a fantastic perspective. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. As we, as we wrap things up here, what is the best way for our listeners to learn more about your product and to support you? Yeah, so if you're, if you're in the Boston or the New England area, we're stocked at retail stores. We don't ship right now um, just because our product is fresh and perishable. So that's a little hard for us right now. But do follow us on Instagram. It's Sipsahol, S-I-P-S-A-H-O-L. Um, that's also our website. So give us a follow and 
yeah, would love to have you along for the journey. Amazing. Thanks so much, Aman. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to my guest, Aman Ailani of Sahol Cold Brew Coffee. Learn more at sipsahol.com or on Instagram at sipsahol. Quick word about my unsponsor, aka a small business producing awesome products, blissfully unaware of this coming shout out. Today's show was not brought to you by the artwork of Marissa Quinn. Marissa Quinn creates intensely detailed and intricate pen and ink drawings based on personal visions and dream states. Her work narrates the cyclical stories of extinction and growth in nature. See some beauty in this world at marissaquinn-art.com. Speaking of shopping small, check out smallbizgoneviral.com for a rapidly growing list of unsponsors and the small businesses run by our guests. There are now over 100 businesses listed that you've probably never heard of, but guaranteed will be impressed by. So vote with your wallet for the world you want to live in and shop small. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates, Worldometer, NPR, Robinhood Snack, and Morning Brew Daily News emails, Statista, and my wonderful, amazing researcher, Kaylin Kwan. Someday this will all be over. Until then, fight the fatigue, social distance, and wear a mask. From an office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back, as always, with our quick bonus lightning round. Three quick questions for you, Amon, starting with, what is your least favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Uh, traveling all day, every day. Yeah, especially as a, as a one-man show. It, it's all on you. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm the sales team. Yep, you, you are the team. <laughs> there is an I in team when it's just you. Uh, question number two, what is something you feel that non-small business owners would have a hard time commiserating with about your work stresses? Uh, getting onto store shelves, grocery store shelves is easy. And because this is a happy show, what is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? The ability to do what I love and answer to nobody. I see. And this is why we end on that question. Thanks, Amon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.